Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, So whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well... What better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking about how to get paid what you're worth with Alex Carter. Right, buddy. Uh, today's conversation is going to be all about getting that raise that you deserve. And we believe that by the end of this episode, listeners are going to be ready to ask for a higher salary. Uh, we're joined by Alex Carter, who is a clinical professor of law. Uh, and she's also the director of the mediation clinic at Columbia Law School. But she is also a leading trainer on negotiation and mediation for many from the private and public sectors out there, including the United Nations. That's right, the UN. Uh, But U.S. courts and federal agencies, private corporations as well, like uh, Bloomberg, Amazon and Microsoft. So that means that Alex is more than qualified to have written the book, Ask for More, 10 Questions to Negotiate Anything. And we are excited to talk with her today. Alex, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Hey, Matt and Joel, I'm thrilled to be here. We're glad to have you here, Alex. And the first question we ask anybody who comes on the show, we want to know kind of like what they like to splurge on. Tells us a little bit, bit about them, also about how they handle their money. So I know you're saving and investing for the future, but what are you splurging on in the here and now too? Woof. Love this question. I spend on support. You know, these days as a full-time professor, as somebody who's doing keynote speaking, I'm writing, I'm also a busy wife and mom, I've got an active social life with my friends. I find that when I spend money on support, helping to support myself with uh, childcare, with help in the home, nice. you know, helping me to book those appointments or do that thing, you know, do those things that mm-hmm. I need to do outside <laughs> of work. It's an investment in myself and a sustainable work life that then carries me through so I can perform at the level I want. I like it. I think that's a, like really insightful too. Like you know yourself and you know what you need. And, and it's, it's like you said, it's going to help you kind of do the things you want to do without getting burned out. Yeah, that's right. And support is something that people don't often talk about. You see the highlight reel on social media. It looks like people are doing it all by themselves. Hmm. I assure yeah. you, I am not. <laughs> that's true. Hey, I appreciate your honesty and your transparency. Uh, maybe you could, I guess it's up to you whether or not you're going to sh- you're gonna share, highlight the folks who support you on social media as well. Yeah. But uh, it's, yeah, we appreciate you talking about that. That's, that's really cool. We are talking about negotiating today. Uh, so Alex, how... How bad is it? What are we potentially giving up when we avoid negotiating? Yeah, so there was a study done a number of years ago around folks coming out of their MBA degree. And the folks who didn't negotiate their first salary out of graduate school ended up, you know, if everything from there remained the same, 
the, the raises, the promotions, from that point on, the person who didn't negotiate would have to work years longer, something like seven years wow. to retire at the same level. So, but I want to say to your audience, if you didn't always negotiate, the best time to start is today, and it's never too late to start advocating for yourself so that you can live the kind of life you wanna live and you can retire the way you want to retire. It's kind of like planting a tree, right? You're like, yeah, the best time was yesterday, but then the second <laughs> best time is right now. And the same, it sounds like the same thing is true of negotiation, but that word itself, negotiation, it tends to freak people out. Like if you whispered it in someone's ear, they might be like, ah, get away from me. <laughs> Not just because you're whispering something in my ear, but because you said the word. And they think of it as being kind of like adversarial in nature, but you say that it's not, right? How could we reframe that? Yeah, so people often think about it as negotiation is synonymous with compromise, right? Like I have to lose or I'm gonna give something up or it's this fight that I have to gear up for. But I always say, I actually learned what negotiation was on my honeymoon. And not because, Matt and Joel, I married <laughs> another lawyer, although that certainly <laughs> added a dynamic to the situation. But picture this, I'm in a kayak in Hawaii with my husband in the back, and our guide says, all right, folks, let's negotiate these things to the left because we're gonna hit that beach up there. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I can't believe of all places in Hawaii, I'm learning now what negotiation really is. It's not just the once a year performance review conversations. It's not just the difficult conversation I have to have with my client over money. Negotiation is steering. It's simply the way you steer the relationships in your life with your colleagues, with your boss, with your future clients and your current clients and all the people in your life. And when you think about negotiation, not just as the fight over money, but simply the process of steering those relationships in a mutually good way, you're in the driver's seat mm. in a way that you weren't before. You know, but the other thing I'm gonna say is that when you're steering those relationships, you brought up the word adversary. People come in to have me train them all the time on high stakes, quote unquote, adversarial negotiations. You're negotiating a huge package with your boss, or maybe you're a supplier and you're negotiating with a retailer. Guess what? In both of those situations, your quote unquote adversary is your partner once that deal is done. Mm. And you wanna make them from the beginning a co-conspirator in your <laughs> success. That's what negotiation is. I love that. Yeah, you said that it's steering relationships. It is not compromising. It is not uh, an adversarial fight. Do you think that that's basically the biggest misconception when it comes to negotiating, that, that folks are just approaching just the entire conversation, like they're entering it for, you know, with the wrong mindset? It's like a battle motif going on in their mind or something. Yeah, I think it's fear. And what happens then is because people think, well, this is gonna be a fight. And the only people who can win this fight are the people who take up the most space in the room and are the most aggressive. So I'm gonna count myself out. Hmm. That's not me. I can't do it. So I see people with this limited view of what it is. And therefore, they just shrink away from it. When I really want people to know negotiation is for everyone. And I can give you tools to help you do it your way. If you're somebody who's collaborative, you're great at relationships, you generate trust, congratulations, you're a negotiator and let us help you. And so that kind of makes me think that it, it is this more long-term thing. I think oftentimes we think of negotiations as like, oh, I'm going to sit down in that meeting and do the negotiation tomorrow. What do I need to know in advance? But it's it's more long-form in nature, right? So how do we approach negotiation when we're thinking about it from that kind of uh, forest, not the trees perspective? Absolutely. I love zooming out to see the bigger picture. Well, it starts not in a place that most people expect. The first negotiation you have in every circumstance is with yourself. And the biggest mistake I saw people making, even really credentialed, brilliant, hardworking people, is that they didn't know how to steer that relationship, hmm. the one with themselves, <laughs> and ask themselves the right questions even before they get in the room with somebody else. And when they don't do that, 
I can see it. Sometimes if you've ever frozen up in a negotiation, if you've ever thought, oh my gosh, I'm not sure how to prioritize these things that are coming at me or deal with a curveball, chances are you could use a little bit more of what I call the mirror. This is you spending focused time, and I give you just a few questions for you to think about that are gonna help you save so much time. You're gonna have more clarity, more confidence, and more efficiency, and who doesn't want that? And I think everybody wants that, yeah. Like, th you've got to do that internal work first. So, yeah, can you share some of those questions here with our listeners? Can you elaborate? Absolutely. So, the first one, and I remember speaking to the Wall Street Journal back when uh, Ask for More came out, and they said, where does it start? And I said, it starts here. Asking yourself, what's the problem I want to solve? You know, it seems like shouldn't I know that already? Or is that something I really need to do? I'm just going into my boss to ask for a raise. Even then, I would ask you to think about what's the problem you're trying to solve? Is it that perhaps during the pandemic, you took on a bunch of extra work with a lot of churn and people leaving, and now the role you're doing is not the role you were hired for and you need compensation to match that? That's one kind of conversation. If you're going in instead because somebody reached out to you and now you thought you knew what was market for your position, it's clear the market has shifted, but you'd like to stay at your current company, that's a different type of conversation. So thinking about what is really the problem I wanna solve is gonna help not only shape what you ask for, but how you ask for it. And it's gonna mean that right at the top of the conversation, you're gonna be able to frame that up in a really concise and powerful way. Hmm. The second and last thing I would highlight, you know, there are five questions in the book that are what I call mirror questions. But a really important question that I'm working with people on right now is, what do I need? You know, money is just the beginning. When you are going in to negotiate, I want you to think about everything you need and I want you to put it into two buckets, tangible and intangible. Tangible could be things that you could touch, see, or count, right? So it's my salary, it's my bonus, perhaps it's equity, all those different monetary buckets. It might be title, it might be um, headcount. So that could be your tangibles. But then I want you also to think about the intangibles, the values that you stand for. And I think this is really gonna resonate with your audience. We find that millennial and Gen Z workers in particular really value certain things. Mm. And if you've ever been in a job where it ticked all the obvious boxes, but you just felt I'm not in the right place or this isn't working for me, those are your intangible speaking. So thinking about those, that could be freedom. It could be growth. And for each one of those, asking yourself, okay, what does freedom look like for me in this job? What does growth look like for me? What might respect look like for me? And that then gives you the complete package of everything it's gonna take tangible and intangible to really create the work life you want and set you up to retire. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people assume that the thing they're supposed to ask for is more money. But when they do some of that internal work, they might find, wait a second, it's actually, if I made more money, that wouldn't move the needle all that much. And what I would really love to have is like two or three more weeks of vacation every single year. And your employer might even be more amenable to giving you those weeks off than they would be to giving you a raise. And so it's kind of this win-win. But when we don't identify those desires and identify what we really want before we get into that conversation, like we might find ourselves at an impasse when otherwise like there could have been some sort of solution uh, between the two parties, right? Yes. And let me give you a short example. So I was working with a woman who got promoted and she quickly maxed them out on the money. And she'd done some research, so she knew they were being straight with her when they said, this is the max we have for this position. So because she had thought about what else do I need, she realized that she's in New York, this new role was gonna be a bi-coastal role. She was gonna have to go to LA for a week every month. And so what did she do? She negotiated for her husband to be able to accompany her every other month expenses paid on that trip. Nice. Because part of what she needed from that was, my marriage is really important yeah. and I wanna sustain that connection. 
excellent example of creative negotiating. I love that. <laughs> That's so good. So you mentioned that you have five different what you call mirror questions. And I'm not sure if you're going to touch on this one, but you talk about feelings and, and how important <laughs> those are as well. And, you know, anxiety and fear, like they just have the ability to completely shut down someone who maybe they've already identified their needs. Right. And so how can someone listening harness and, and how can someone maybe use those feelings to their advantage as opposed to just completely shutting them down? I love that you brought that up, and I call feelings the F word, because <laughs> a lot of people, especially when we're wearing a suit, don't want to talk about or think about our feelings. And I know that people have said in the past, you know, when you negotiate, you have to put your feelings aside. No. In fact, feelings are how we make decisions. Think about the largest financial decisions you've made in your life. A job, your first home, a lot of those, it's our feelings talking to us and saying, this is really where I see myself. So what I have people do is say, what do I feel? And write it down before you get into that second phase of the negotiation with someone else. Because when you write feelings down, two things happen. Number one, sometimes you're gonna write stuff and it's gonna lose its power over you. You talked about that anxiety and fear. I remember once hmm. going in to negotiate something and before I did, I wrote down how I was feeling and yes, okay, vulnerability alert, I'm a negotiation expert and I wrote down, I'm scared they're gonna laugh me out of the room. Hmm. That's what I wrote down. And then I looked at that and I thought, Alex, how likely is it in fact that you're gonna state that number and everyone in the room is gonna break into hysterical laughter. <laughs> that's, that's probably very unlikely. So social work research tells us that if we write down our feelings, they tend to sort of dissipate. We feel more control when we're in the room. But the second thing we realize is feelings are data. They can tell us what path we wanna take. I was counseling a man once who needed to have a difficult conversation with a subordinate in the workplace about a policy that that person had apparently violated. And when he wrote down his feelings, he was like, I'm scared to mess up this relationship. I'm a little annoyed that this person put me in this place in the first place. And I'm actually ambivalent about whether this policy is the right one in the first place. Hmm. Bingo. So then he knew he had two tracks to pursue. He needed to talk to this person and also needed to get together with the management committee to say, is this really the right possibility? Hmm. Feelings are data and you can use them to your advantage. Speaking of data, I feel like uh, stats show that if people want the max pay increase that they should apply elsewhere, right? That we, we find that job switchers make more than people who stay at a job. Do you think that part of that is a fear of confrontation? That's what keep, that's what's keeping folks from negotiating a raise and just applying down the street and mm -hmm. moving on, going elsewhere. Is is that what's happening, or is or, or, or some, there's something else at play? You know, I actually don't think the quote unquote fault in that situation is on the individual. Sometimes it might be a fear of confrontation, but more often, here's what I see. I see two things. One scenario is you've grown up at that company. You've been there maybe since you graduated college or graduate school, you're 10 years in, and in your boss's minds, you are still that fresh person right out of school can and i say so, that has happened yes. to me like my one job i was literally <laughs> really? there for 15 years i interned there and literally 15 years in they were still calling me intern and just that's <laughs> like a joking uh, like a lovely sort of thing and it's funny but it's also like is that still how you see me so there's some truth to, it's it's kind of funny but it's also just a little uh I don't, uh, odd you're like i'm growing up now well, too though well, maybe you see the, the power in labels yeah when, when you're able yes. to step step back and you know talking with alex here i think she's maybe highlighting the fact that that really does have a, a significant impact yeah. not just on the the way we feel but maybe how others treat us as yeah. well oh it does i mean people tell me all the time that they get pushback when they negotiate for titles and i tell them go in there and say titles are signals and there's a signal we could be sending here that's going to benefit all of us in the market, right? And yeah. let's do that. An intern, so, not a powerful title. <laughs> intern, not a powerful thing. I got to tell you, in that case, I'd be like, ha, ha, ha. Actually, I'm your boss. So um, <laughs> so there's that. So, so the first is you've kind of grown up there. The second thing that I see is that management is in 
kick the can down the road mode or cost saving mode. And they think, well, it's an unofficial policy, but basically if you want to make more, you got to go elsewhere. And I have heard, I can't tell you how many people saying to me offline that my manager was like, I'm really sorry, you got to generate another offer. And it's really risky for companies. I say this all the time. It's basically like telling your partner, you know, I'd like to have a, you know, an open relationship. So feel free to go out, right? And if there's anybody else you'd like to date, sounds good. You know, the risk is then that the person finds an offer from somebody who right off the bat says, I see your worth and I honor that. Mm. And a lot of times then that builds resentment. And so you're not going to be able to keep that person even if you match because you didn't do it when you could. Mm. This is all great, Alex. These are some of these internal, some of these mirror questions that we need to ask ourselves, maybe really before we even start having a conversation with a supervisor or a boss. But right after the break, we're actually going to dive into a bunch of different questions that we can be asking when it comes to seeking out that higher income. We'll get to all of those right after this. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take well the money app Monarch. They make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we're back from the break. We're still talking about getting paid what you're worth with Alex Carter. And of course, we talked about a lot of that internal work, which is which is so interesting. Like, I haven't really thought about that much from the negotiation standpoint. So much, you think of it as external between a secondary party. But I feel like, Alex, you said, shed so much light on what it takes to get kind of prepared for that, which is a meaningful part of the process. It's like, like tilling the soil before yeah. you actually go and plant the seeds. For sure. And so, Alex, you say that the first step is to invite the other person 
to share how they think things are going, how well they believe you're performing. Why is that important when we're now starting to kind of approach negotiations with the other party? Yeah, well, what I would say about that is that we want to start broad. So one way you could do it would be to say, you know, talk to me about how things are going. But there are other ways that you might open up the conversation in a broad way. For example, I'm counseling somebody who's trying to go in for a promotion, and she goes in to say, tell me all about the process. Right, so getting a lot of information so that you can then figure out what you're pitching to, right? So I imagine when I tell people you wanna go in and go broad, this is what I call the window, right? We start in the mirror, we're starting with ourselves, and now we're looking to open up a window between us and somebody else to really be able to once again take that broad view understand as much as possible about them, about the situation, about process and substance so that we can negotiate the best possible offer. And if you wanna know how to start broad, you need to ask an open question. You know, research, there was a fantastic study done by Professor Lee Thompson out of Northwestern that found that only 7% of people in this setup negotiated the most money and those people were the ones who came in and asked questions first, but not just any questions. They asked what she called diagnostic questions or open questions. Hmm. And here's how you do it. Open questions start with three different words or phrases. What, what are your needs? Um, what can I do to help you make the case for my raise? That type of thing, or how, you know, how can we achieve this together so that I can continue to outperform for your department? What, how, or my favorite, what I call the two magic words that you should use to start every conversation, tell me. Tell me your views on my performance this year. Tell me the company's biggest goals for the next year. Tell me what role optimally I would play in supporting you to reach those goals. Tell me about the last person you were able to achieve a raise for and how they made the case for you. Tell me is the most powerful way you can start any compensation related conversation. And here's the secret. It's not totally a question. It's actually a command. Hmm. It means that you're not gonna get a yes or no answer. You're basically compelling them to give you as much information as possible, and information is power. That's how you negotiate. You're basically t saying, hey, spill your guts. Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a really kind <laughs> way so that they're like, okay, sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I had a gentleman early on in my career say to me, you know, Alex, tell me isn't really a business question though it's kind of a therapist question Ooh. and i said um <laughs> fine who knows more about you right your colleagues or right. your therapist yeah it gives you so the, true the absolute most and then once you ask that question you got to do what i call landing the plane don't talk over yourself don't fill the silence sit back and let that person answer your question yeah. I mean, so that's one of the tips that you mentioned in your book as well. So in this process of identifying an opportunity, essentially, or right? like that's what you're doing by asking these questions, the what, the how, uh, the tell me. But you talk about enjoying the silence even. And it can be <laughs> difficult in particular for folks like us who just like to talk to perhaps <laughs> fill the void. But you talk about how it's so important to put those questions out there and just let them hang uh, and just continue to wait and essentially you're going to get even more information from that individual and there's an optimal amount too right oh yeah you read the book so how much silence do you need to really get what's called a high value move from the other side i just did it yeah three and a half <laughs> seconds that's what i'm three talking about and a half seconds baby that's what if I'm they were talking listening about. on double sped up it's 1.75 yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man i was born in brooklyn so if you're listening to me on one and a half i feel bad for you right now <laughs> but i'll tell you sometimes you do that 
and that alone gets you the offer. I was counseling a woman in her 30s, um, young president of a, uh, a company, right? So she rises quickly to the top of leadership. And she's an outgoing person. She's normally a talker like me. So she's sitting there with the board talking about compensation. And she says, um, here's what I'm worth. What do we need to do to make this happen? And they say, oh gosh, you know, we're not sure we can do that. And she just sits. And do you know, after a few seconds, they looked at each other nervously and said, all right, let's make it happen. <laughs> Just that. Right? So oh, a man, tip for your, for your introverted listeners here, introversion can be a superpower. Use your comfort with silence to <laughs> your advantage. And if you're like me and you're born in Brooklyn and you love to talk, it's like going to the gym. It gets easier every time. All right. That's great. I love this stuff. So how, how important is data when you enter into negotiations? Is Do we need how much external like salary sort of data do we need to know kind of what people in the market in similar positions are getting paid? Or what about like personal accomplishment numbers or metrics too? How, how much of that do we need to kind of bring to the table when we're talking with somebody about getting paid more? Yes. Well, there's two components to this. One is data and then it's framing. That was implicit in what you said. Data are very important. You know, research shows that if you're gonna make an ask and you wanna do the best possible when you're making that ask, your ask needs to be three things. It needs to be specific, so really concrete. It needs to be justifiable. So you need to figure out for everything, you know, there's usually not one number, it's a range. And so specific, justifiable, and then optimistic. The way I like to frame this for people is, I want you to ask for the biggest number or the biggest package that you can credibly stand behind. If there's a range, you're gonna ask for the top of the range. And then it comes to framing. And that's sort of what you were getting at when talking about personal accomplishments. There are so many different ways that you can frame things up. I was working with a guy who was negotiating to run a venture cap uh, situation for a larger company. And they offered him a certain amount of money. And he said, well, this is actually what they offered me is middle of the market for my accomplishments and what I'm doing in this role. And I said, you know, are you just going to be a venture cap partner or are you running the thing? And he thought, he was like, actually, I'm running it. And I said, okay. So then let's talk about how to frame that up and what's the range to head a venture cap fund. That one question netted him a hundred grand more. Hmm. So a lot of this is about get your data and online is just the beginning, right? You can look at Indeed, you can look at Payscale, Glassdoor, lots of different websites. But ultimately, for you listening out there, you want to tap your human intelligence, your network. And this is where I always say, especially to women, let's get comfortable talking about money. I love when people ask me, how much did you get for that? Or what are you making? Because that's how we all rise. So that's your data. And then you're going to frame it up in the most optimistic way to get yourself toward the top of that range. Well, so as we're seeking out those those pieces of data, essentially we're talking about expanding that network. Like, do you have any tips for building that out? Like, how can we find others uh, within an industry or within our space to see what it is that they're getting paid? Yeah, my number one tip is to be generous and be the person that is supporting other people. Because if you are out there using what you have, connecting people, referring people, really getting to know people. You know, sometimes networking can seem so transactional. And I like to say, I just have a group of great friends that I also do business with. And hmm. it's not just about what position they're in. I know when they're doing an IVF cycle. I know when their kid is graduating elementary school. You know, I know that they knit in their spare time. It's really having deep relationships with the people that you resonate with so that then you have that basis of trust to be able to ask people about money. But I also like to find people that I have stuff in common with. Where'd you go to college? Where did you go to graduate school? Where are you from? It could be an ethnic community, a religious community, folks who share some of the same beliefs you do. You know, a lot of folks now, really we desire to be in community. And what I would say is find the people you resonate with, 
because those are going to be the people that you relate to more and ultimately you're able to tap better for this kind of mutual exchange. Yeah, people are more more willing to share information with you, even something that's seemingly as private as salary information, if you feel like you know each other and you have mm-hmm. more common ground. I'm, I'm curious, Alex, how do you feel about the pay transparency laws that we've seen springing up over the past couple of years in different uh, different states? Like, How do those impact our nobil- ability to negotiate? And would you say that these have helped workers or, or hurt them overall? Yeah, I think salary transparency is going to be a market advantage for the companies that implement it. So we've been seeing these, you know, laws around this piecemeal around the country, you know, in uh, Colorado, California, New York City. And I think, you know, what I've learned through counseling, you know, thousands of people, but also looking at the research is that workers and especially your women and underrepresented workers really worry that they're being underpaid. Hmm. And often they are. I'll speak here, especially to the women who are listening here. How many times have you been asked, you know, in a job negotiation, well, Alex, what did you make in your last job? So in some places, it's illegal now to ask that question, but it's also irrelevant. I'm not here to interview for my last job, am I? Right. I'm it feels like to- insidious, that's but right. people respond and they tell. And then that get, that's a huge tell in the negotiation process. Yes. You know, and I, I have some children in my life who are obsessed with Encanto. And I always say, we don't talk about Bruno. You know, <laughs> if somebody wants to know what I made before, I'm here to redirect and say, you know, actually, each company values roles differently. And this role is really different, as is the company. So I'd like to talk about how you're valuing the role. Hmm. And then at when we we flesh that out, I'm more than happy to have a conversation around compensation for this role, period. So I think salary transparency is something that's really going to help a lot of workers and it's going to help companies too, because when people know they're being paid fairly, guess what? They work harder, they feel more connected to the mission, and they are more likely to stay. And for companies, attrition is so expensive. For a mid-range manager, you know, if the person's making $150,000, it could cost companies upwards of 50, right? Or, or even close to 75 to really replace that person and train and get their successor up to speed. So. I'm a big fan of pay transparency, and I hope that we're going to see more of that across the country. So what if there isn't transparency when it comes to pay? (laughs) Uh, What if someone's out there and they're applying for a job where there is no pay range provided at all? How do folks essentially address like the elephant in the room, which is basically that you've got no idea how much the job is actually going to compensate? Yeah, this is a great question because people often ask me, Alex, should I go first? Should I throw out a number? Um, or should I wait for them to do it? And the answer is, it depends. That's how you know I'm a lawyer, by the way, guys. You know, <laughs> if, I, if I say to you, it depends, that's what we spend all those hundreds of thousands of dollars in law school to learn how to say. <laughs> so here's the thing. Oftentimes, and we've all heard the stories, several of them went viral last year, where somebody goes in and they say, um, I'd like to be paid $75,000. And actually, the company had a range from 75 to 125. And they think, okay, great, you know, we'll get this person for 75. And then subsequently, the person figures out that they were hugely undervalued and they leave. My advice is if you have rock solid intelligence, like you've got people within that company and in the industry who can tell you for sure here's the range, here's where you can aim, here are all the different levers you can pull, right? All of those drivers that you could put in to create a fulsome and creative deal for both sides. If you've got that, by all means, I think, go in and let them know. If you don't, I would let the company go first so that you prevent yourself from undercutting or underselling yourself on the compensation. And then if they come back and say, here it is, first of all, do not accept on the spot, okay? Mm -hmm. I hope, I, I don't have to say that more than once, but do not accept on the spot. Even if they say, well, we'd really like, you know, an answer, you should take some time to think about this and gather your data. If it's not enough, then you gather as much intelligence as you can 
and aim higher and say, this role and the responsibilities, when you put them together with my experience, that number is blank and shoot higher. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like walking away for a little bit. It's almost like an extended silence that yes. might uh, help <laughs> work in your favor. And I, I guess to briefly at the beginning, we talked about benefits and how you might ask for vacation time instead of additional pay and how that might lead to just a, a an accepted negotiation for both parties. And so maybe you're sometimes you're negotiating for the wrong thing, just that higher salary number when maybe that's not even what you mostly mostly want. But how important is it to negotiate other benefits aside from salary? And what sort of things do you see people negotiating for? And how often are potential employers like willing to negotiate on some of those secondary fronts? Absolutely. So it's critically important. You know, when you think about uh, flexibility or vacation, you know, oftentimes I'm working with people or hearing of people who are negotiating jobs that are in different cities. And so thinking about then, how often do you want to be out there with your team? You know, it could be asking for a travel budget so that you could be out and meeting with your team in person X number of times a year. It could also be, you know, around vacation. But I like to put things into buckets and to say to people, you want to negotiate more than money. So what are the things that you should negotiate for besides the compensation? And I'll, I'll give you several of those buckets. I want you to be thinking about not just where you are today as you start that job, but where you are a year from now when you have your per first performance review and maybe your first bonus or a chance at a raise. And so you're going to work backward from there. You're going to think about what are the performance indicators that I'm going to need to meet and what are the things that I need to negotiate for today so that I'm going to be able to knock it out of the park a year from now. And hmm. those things could be access you know, to information, to people, to the rooms you're going to need to be effective in that job. This is why it's so important to ask those broad questions about the role and the company, because then you're going to get a sense, well, okay, so I hear the management committee meets once a month, you know, in order to be able to do what you need me to do, I'm going to need access to that meeting, right? So that's one. The second thing I talk about is boundaries and work-life balance can be part of this. So thinking about what's sustainable for you, your family, whatever that might look like for you at this stage of your life and thinking about how do I negotiate for that? I know a dynamic young woman, she's interviewing for a chief sales officer position, and she needs to be doing homework with her kids from three to four every day. So that was part of the negotiation process. They know her, she's a killer, she slays in the market, and so this was absolutely a thing that they gave to her. She's got a blackout period for that time, works for her and her family. The last thing I would say that people could negotiate for, and this goes back to what I said at the very beginning of the episode, is support. What are the networks you need to be a part of? What conferences do you need to sponsor to be sponsored for so that you can be visible? What, if any, training do you need? How about headcount, marketing budget? All of that can and should be negotiated up front because that's how you're going to be successful and you frame it as this is how we win together. Hmm. And guys, I got to tell you right now, I have to say one more thing about negotiating severance. If you can negotiate your severance up front, increasingly I hear about people doing this. It is to your advantage. Hypothetical dollars are easier to give than actual dollars after the fact. And so you can treat this kind of like a prenup, right? We're getting married. I have high hopes. I'm super excited for this job. I want to be here a long time. And as you know, you know, now in the market, it's standard to be talking about severance up front. And so let's have that conversation. Hmm. All right. So you can basically negotiate a better parting package, better severance package on the way out the door if you do it at the beginning than if you wait until you're getting let go. Absolutely. Very cool. All right. Hey, we've got a couple more questions to get to with you, Alex, including like we live in a new world of work from home. How does that impact our ability to negotiate? We'll talk about that and a couple more things right after this. Mm -hmm. 
When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take well the money app Monarch. They make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we are back from the break talking with Alex Carter to ensure that you're getting paid what you are worth. And Alex, just you know, right before the break, Joel mentioned working from home, something that we have seen change dramatically over the past few years. But how do you think that working from home has impacted our ability to showcase our accomplishments, right? We talked about framing the right data uh, to our supervisors and bosses to make sure that they know what it is that we're accomplishing. It's kind of difficult to do that when we aren't working uh, in in person. Uh, And so, A, I would love for you to talk about that. But then also, should negotiation tactics, should they change if we are almost never in the office interacting with, with our coworkers and interacting with our bosses? Really interesting. Well, I think the virtual or hybrid world we're in gives us a lot of options for how we negotiate and a lot of modalities. In addition to in person, we can be meeting on video call, we can do a phone call, we can do email, or God forbid, we can do text. Just kidding, don't do that, okay? (laughs) If you want to either blow up your work life or get divorced, try having an intense conversation over text. Oh yeah, or Twitter. It's a bad bad medium, yeah. If there's there's anything worse for negotiating uh, than text, it's probably Twitter. Although I have seen a couple of success stories that I won't talk about with Twitter employees actually negotiating with the CEO um, live. But here's what I would say. Has it changed the game? It has. And here, once again, I want to speak directly to um, those of your audience who might be underrepresented in the workplace, women and people of color in particular, and say that the virtual world tends to be a little harder. So 
to the extent you needed to fight for airtime to share your accomplishments or share your ideas in person, it becomes even more difficult online. And so to those who are listening, who are leaders of companies and managers, this is something that you can correct from the top. You can be setting the tone, setting time for one-to-ones, really checking in with your team members and making sure that you're aware of what they're doing. But if you're listening to this and you're not in that position, you're managing up, then I have some tips for you, okay? Number one, if you're looking to make your voice heard or share your wins or share your ideas, right, because both are important for compensation, then you need to do what I call the meeting before the meeting. Even if it's a Zoom call, get on a few minutes early because a lot of times compensation decisions turn on what we call the power of the informal. It's not what's shared during the actual meeting. It's that few minutes of informal chat with your manager or a decision maker before it starts. Hmm. To be able to say, hey, Bob, actually, thanks for your support. The client just sent a tremendous thank you note uh, to me saying that the project was incredibly successful, right? Being able to share that before uh, the meeting itself. Or I have an idea when in the meeting would be good for me to share it. Not may I, not can I, but when. So negotiating some of that time and space for yourself. The other thing I would do would be pass on your positive feedback or your wins as you get them. You also want to keep a folder. You know, sometimes we're so busy, you know, kicking butt out there in the workplace that we forget about it and we forget to document it. So when something good happens, I want you to do two things. One, put it in your folder or keep a list of your accomplishments. And number two, forward it to somebody who's senior to you, perhaps who supported you in doing this and saying, thanks again for your support or the resources. I wanted to pass along this incredible feedback we just got so that you are staying top of mind. You know, last thing I would say is if you're trying to get that raise or promotion, and that's why we're talking here today, that is not something you preview for the first time at that performance review. Hmm. I want you to treat this like a political campaign that you are running year round. You're gonna be talking to your allies and advocates. You're gonna be sharing your wins. Maybe you're gonna set up a pre-meeting with your boss to ask some of those big questions and say, you know, my job has really changed. I've taken on more responsibility. Tell me what it would take and how we can work together to get me to a title and a compensation level that reflects what I'm doing now. So before the money gets allocated, which often has happened by the time you have the performance review, you are laying that groundwork. You know, set the date for your performance review, but do not wait to set the stage. I feel like so much of what you're saying, like the the way you phrase it matters because there in so many of these things, because you're, you're talking about specific words or specific phrases, but also some of these like specific things that you want us to communicate to a, a superior, it could come across as bragging if we do it improperly, right? So like how important is it to use the right language and to use the right methodology when we're communicating back and forth? Well... Unfortunately, research shows that it's more important for some of us than others, and namely women and people of color. Hmm. We tend to get more pushback when we are talking about our accomplishments or asking for money, depending on the person who's receiving that information. And also culturally, you pull from an international audience. And there are some places around the world where people say to me, they did just this morning in a keynote I was giving, you know, what if it's maybe not acceptable for me to be quote unquote bragging about my expertise and my accomplishments? Mm -hmm. And here's what I would say. There's kind of a formula you can use for this it's called the I-we. I'm incredibly proud to have led this team or achieved this, and I wanna shout out everybody who contributed to this. It's accurate, you led the team, and it's also collaborative because you're lifting up other people. And if you're really worried about, you know, you're managing up, so you're talking to a superior and you need to talk about what you've achieved, what you could do is go in and thank them first. Do the we and say, you know, this has been, if this is true, this has been a great environment for me. You have been so supportive throughout. And 
That support is a major reason that I'm coming to you with several wins that I feel incredibly proud of this year, hmm. right? It is gracious, it's collaborative, and it's also accurate. We don't want the I to get lost in the we and say, oh, well, it was a team effort. Maybe it was, but if you led the team, you need to say that. These have been some amazing, like tactical tips. <laughs> this is some great advice. Uh, let's maybe end on a note of encouragement for folks because you've done negotiation work for some like pretty impressive entities <laughs> and you, you've undoubtedly helped many individuals' lives. I hear you drawing on some different examples uh, as we've uh, talked today, but what have you seen some folks ask for and actually get that some of our listeners out there might find surprising that they may have thought was not an option that was on the table for them, but that they were able to get. You mentioned that one, like that blackout hour for that one mother who is doing homework. I freaking love that. I, th yeah. I think the ability to set that boundary, like that's something that she clearly wanted. That was one that really stood, stood out to me. But did you have any, maybe some, some other examples uh, like that? Yeah, so a blackout hour, uh, the person who negotiated the travel package for her husband. Mm -hmm. I have yeah. lots of success stories. You know, I, I want to tell you, one of my own also when i was first getting started as a speaker again you know transparency alert i negotiate my fee and pretty quickly i max them out and i believe them when they say you know we saved this for last we didn't realize what speakers cost we just don't have the budget and i said okay tell me more about your event and so they described it to me and i said okay so I'm gonna do it for the money you mentioned, plus here are the other things I would like. You mentioned you've got a professional photographer working this event. Um, I'd love to get um, high-res photos of me on your stage with your company logo in the background that I can use for my portfolio and for my speaker kit. And secondly, if I blow the doors off it, as I'm planning to do, I'd love to have the names of two or three managing director level people whom you would have as references for me to call other contacts in the industry and recommend me as a speaker. I ended up getting both of those things and I went on to make over the next couple of years 30 to 40 times what I made in that mm -hmm. one event just from negotiating some additional creative stuff. So that's, that's awesome. for the so entrepreneurs cool. yeah. out there, <laughs> right? But thinking about it, I've had people negotiate for um, remote work. I've had them negotiate for an enhanced um, healthcare package. I've had them negotiate for childcare if that was offered at work. For people who are returning to the workforce after a break, they've negotiated for skills training or going to conferences or maybe for the women out there belonging to one of the women's networking clubs out there like The Crew or Chief or The List, places where you can get equipped and supported as a leader. Truly, there are so many different things out there but I, I guess I want to tell you also that you can do this in a way that you're going to get stuff you didn't expect. I was working with a gentleman who talked about growing up. He grew up at this company. He was at this point where he was a young C-suite leader running a major division, and his friend was the CEO. And he came to me and said, I'm tremendously resentful, but I can't negotiate. It's my friend. And I said, you can, and we're going to talk about how to do it. And we did it his way, we did it collaboratively, we did it with a lot of questions. Not only did this gentleman get 50% more tacked onto his base and a substantial bonus, but the CEO called him two months later and said, you know, I'm really impressed with how you did that. And I want you to know that I'm thinking of you someday for when I retire. Wow. That is the kind of unexpected boon you can get by negotiating. You can do well monetarily and also show people you're a leader and really preserve and enhance those relationships. Alex, this has been great. Just a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can our listeners find out more about you and find out more about your book? Absolutely. Well, I'm on most social media platforms at Alexandra B. Carter. I am also at alexcarterasks.com, where you can find information on Ask for More, the book, and also about the speaking and training I do. And I would love to hear of any success stories or what you took from this podcast. It's really a joy. You know, I see myself as a coach first and foremost. 
And so I'd love to know as your negotiation coach, what worked for you and what you go on to achieve. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. So where do we even begin, Joel, after <laughs> after that conversation? I feel like everything that Alex mentioned was gold. Yeah, one of the best guests I ever. I don't know how we're going to be able to identify <laughs> one big takeaway. Like, I mean, yeah, so on that note, what was your, what was your big takeaway? Okay, what set- was one thing that you, you have to identify that was the most important? All right, set me up for failure first. Here I go. <laughs> I will say, I think... I'll fail next. Don't worry. At the very beginning, again, yeah, so much good information from Alex here. But I think at the very beginning when she said that if you don't negotiate, you're basically setting yourself up for seven more years of work. And it's a real problem. Yeah. Yes. You, you and I, we talk about the compounding returns that you can get by investing in the stock market. And it's 100% true, right? The, that your money is going to be working for you after a decade plus. It's going to have a massive impact on your ability to retire. But the same thing is true when you negotiate. The earlier uh, that you can up your salary, you're going to have compounding returns as your salary increases, even if you're just, once you get into that new position, getting that 3% annual raise or something like that. Well, if you negotiated more at the beginning, it cascades into quite a bit more over the years and the decades. And so I think that's a really good point that when we think about compounding returns, we also have to think about how much more we're going to earn over our lifetime and how much more uh, financial independence it's going to convey to us if we're more serious about negotiating. Totally. Yeah, it's going to have a massive impact on the financials. But uh, my big takeaway, I'll shift from the money to the intangibles, because that's right. one of the things she talked about when it comes to what it is that you're negotiating for, right? She, she mentioned how you can negotiate for the tangibles, and you, that's kind of what you touched on, right? So your salary, maybe it's equity or a title uh, that you have within that company. But you can also negotiate for lifestyle, the intangibles. Uh, and she mentioned whether it be values or just the, the freedom that you have, maybe the independence that you have to perform your job within a certain set of parameters that the company's outlined for you, or maybe it's just respect, you know, like the ability to go to a company where it feels like that they respect your opinion, your time, how it is that you might want to tackle and approach a problem. It's not just about money. And even though here on the show, that's you know, 95% of what we talk about <laughs> at least has to do with money. There, it's, that is not the goal in and of itself. It's to be able to create and to shape and design a life that you're excited to lead. And I think one of the ways you do that is by negotiating lifestyle, those yeah. intangibles. So I, that was fantastic. It's always good to be reminded of that as the how to money guys, because <laughs> we're here to talk about money, yeah. but it's just so important to be reminded that it's not only about money. It's about what that money can do for you. Well, and I think what she was saying too, and I think it's more true in today's society and in today's work environment than ever, is that some of those intangibles are actually easier to negotiate for than it is just pure compensation increases. And I think for a lot of people, it's more meaningful than just making more money. Yep. That you and I would say the same thing. It's like, if we if we had to work 10 extra hours a week for an extra 500K a year, would we do it? Like, probably not, because those intangibles mean a lot to us too, right? Oh, 500K is a lot though. That is a lot of money. <laughs> that is a lot of money. If you would have said like 50K, I would have been like, oh, yeah. No, yeah. No, no. <laughs> All right. Maybe we would. But th- yeah, you all, those trade-offs matter, right? And and so... Half um, a mil over there, just like <laughs> just lighting it on fire. All right, right. <laughs> But like, those intangibles yeah. are crucial. And it's you're so going to you're often going to make more progress when you're negotiating for those than you are for just pure compensation. But uh, making more money is good, too. Yeah, that's right. But man, what a fantastic guest. So glad we are able to get Alex on the show today. Let's quickly mention the beer that you and I enjoyed during this episode. This is a uh, Digits, which is by Burnt Hickory Brewery. And I'll mention, we've never had a Burnt Hickory beer here on the show. Which they're not not too far from where we no, are. No, and back in the day, so like, I don't know, maybe a, close to a decade ago, like as craft beer was coming on the scene, this particular beer was something that we would, we would drive, no, I don't, would we go drive around looking for it? I still remember, I, I knew a guy who worked at a package store and he would set aside a case for me because so, that's how much I like this yeah, beer. Yeah, so it was it was uh, an in-demand beer, but then obviously as more breweries come online and you, they start making amazing beers, you kind of forget about your first loves. But this was <laughs> one, of the, one of the OG IPAs that we were on the hunt for. And I'm glad that you and I were able to enjoy this one today. What yeah. were your thoughts? All right, so it, it held up. In a lot of ways, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's funny. This is an IPA made with blood oranges, and that's why I always loved it. I like blood, blood orange, orange for some IPA. reason. At least in this recipe, like for this IPA, it's so good. And it's funny, I probably haven't had this beer in years, but it still takes me back to those days oh, yeah. where I was early on craft beer aficionado drinking it, and it's as delicious as ever. Yeah, it's fantastic. I'll, so the tasting notes on here, blood orange, obviously, citrus, orange peel, so it's kind of got some of that... 
like that oil that you get from the from the skin of the yeah. orange peel, uh, pine and tropical fruit. This is certainly a little more of a West Coast style IPA. Uh, it's not overly resiny and bitter, but pretty clean drinking, right? This isn't a hazy New England that's where it looks like a glass of orange juice. Uh, you can very much see through this beer. And plus, it's got a killer label. It's always kind of got this, I don't know, like this kind of scary looking <laughs> clip art face on the front of it. <laughs> I, I know. I've always liked the Candace. I don't know how to describe it, but you'll just have to head over to the website and see the image if you'd like to check it out. And we'll also make sure to link to Alex's website, where it is that you can buy her book and learn more about what she's up to. You can find all of that over at howtomoney.com. And so that's going to be it for this episode, buddy. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.